If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 13 years ago this week, a right wing anti abortion group called Operation Rescue emailed its members, encouraging them to participate in a special Halloween contest. It was known as the Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid Burn in Hell competition. Yes, really. Operation Rescue included a video showing step by step how you could make your very own Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid effigy. They even showed you how to burn the effigy once you made it. The whole thing was supposedly a protest about abortion related aspects of the Affordable Care Act. The winner of the contest would receive an all expense paid trip to D.C. Just burn that effigy. Now, I'm not showing you this because the contest was particularly impactful in any way, it wasn't. This was a fringe group in 2009 taking dangerous political rhetoric about political figures like Reid and Pelosi to a new and disgusting extreme. But the fact that there weren't mass effigy burnings across the country is not the point here. The worry isn't that violent rhetoric in mainstream politics is going to cause some level headed mainstream voter to do something insane and awful. The worry is what violent, dangerous rhetoric encourages the least stable amongst us to do. Here's a Democratic leader in the House, Nancy Pelosi, a month before that Halloween contest in 2009. How concerned are you about the tone of the political debate in terms of people talking about anti-government rhetoric and so on and the possibility of violence? Well, I think we all have to take responsibility for our actions and our words. The, uh, we are a free country and this balance between freedom and uh, uh, safety is one that we have to carefully uh, balance. Um, I have concerns about some of the language that is, is being used because I saw, I saw this myself um, in the late 70s in San Francisco. This kind of, of, of uh, rhetoric was, is, was very frightening and it, gave, it created a climate in which we, violence took place. And uh, uh, so I, I wish that we would all, again, uh, curb our enthusiasm in some of the statements that are made, so understanding that, that uh, some of the people, the ears that are, it is falling on are not as balanced uh, as the person making the statement. A few months after Nancy Pelosi made that statement, where she publicly made clear her worry about the rise of dangerous rhetoric, the Republican National Committee decided to make Pelosi, as an individual, their biggest target. On the night the House passed the Affordable Care Act in 2010, the RNC's website started redirecting visitors to a new fundraising page, FireNancyPelosi.com. It showed Speaker Pelosi with clenched fists in front of a wall of flames. The site was so successful that the RNC launched a national Fire Pelosi bus tour where they zigzagged all across the U.S. and used Pelosi to raise cash. The RNC chair at the time launched the tour while wearing a red fire Pelosi hat. Drumming up hate and demonizing Nancy Pelosi as a person. That was a cash cow for Republicans. By 2014, 13% of all Republican ads in House races mentioned Nancy Pelosi. 
In 2016, when Hillary Clinton became the main Republican villain, Pelosi was only in 9 percent of GOP House ads. But by 2018, with Clinton and Obama no longer in the spotlight, Nancy Pelosi was in a whopping 34 percent of Republican House ads. This year, Republicans have spent more money on ads that demonize Nancy Pelosi than they have spent on ads about immigration. The things Republicans have spent the most money attacking are taxes, Joe Biden, inflation, crime, and Nancy Pelosi. At the same time, in the past two years, five people, five of them, have been arrested for how seriously they have threatened Speaker Pelosi. Today, the man accused of breaking into Speaker Pelosi's home and assaulting her husband with a hammer, David DePap, was arraigned in San Francisco County Superior Court. He entered a plea of not guilty. According to the federal complaint, DePap told responding officers that he planned to hold Nancy hostage and talk to her. He said that if Nancy were to tell the truth, he would let her go. And if she lied, he was going to break her kneecaps. He told an FBI agent that Nancy Pelosi was the leader of the pack of the lies told by the Democratic Party and that if he broke her kneecaps, she would then have to be wheeled into Congress, which would show other members of Congress there are consequences to actions. Two days before Paul Pelosi was attacked, Congressman Tom Emmer, the chair of the National Republican Congressional Committee, tweeted out this video of him, excuse me, firing a gun at a gun range with the hashtag FirePelosi. When questioned about it this weekend, Emmer claimed Democratic rhetoric was just as bad. He disavowed the violence, but didn't see anything wrong with what he did. Today, Doug High, the communications director for the RNC, back when they started that Fire Pelosi campaign in 2010, Doug High wrote this in the Washington Post. I helped run the Fire Pelosi effort. Our toxic politics goes too far. High talks about the initial rush that came from how successful the campaign was, how the success felt like a political gift. But unlike the people currently in charge of the Republican Party, High thinks this has all gone too far. Quote, collectively, we have to lower the temperature. People keep getting hurt. We are very lucky no one has been killed. And I worry I need to emphasize yet. As a Republican, I know the original sin begins with us. Republicans, not all to be sure, but enough. What we say is often not what people hear, and everyone in political life has a duty to do better. Joining us now is Doug High, former communications director for the Republican National Committee. Doug, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, I have to ask you, we took that Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunate trip down memory lane where we saw the signage, the bus tour. When you launched the Fire Pelosi effort back in 2010, did you imagine that it would end here? No, absolutely not. And, uh, you know, this was something that we did. We tried to, you know, grab a hold of a political moment. We did it in a, I would say, despite the imagery, we we were trying to be lighthearted about it. Um, You know, I was running the communications on it. The kind of face of the project was Michael Steele, your colleague here at at MSNBC, who's known as one of the most affable people you'll ever meet in your life. And it it was successful. And it was something that we did a lot of media in and took it through all 48 states. It went very well for us. As I said in the piece, this was a political gift at a committee that really needed one at the time. And we weren't thinking in terms of political violence at that point. The problem then was there was a January, uh, January in 2011, there was a Saturday morning when Gabby Giffords was shot. And I drove to the office immediately, got on a conference call with colleagues in John Boehner's office, Eric Cantor's office, the congressional and senatorial committees. And we talked about the proper way to respond 
um, and also what we could do to quell uh, what we would politely call in, in mixed company uh, some of the loudmouths and bomb throwers. We use other uh, language in private um, to make sure that we're all unified and we're saying <clears throat> the good and smart and right things. Fast forward to what we've just seen and, um, you know, from Friday, and we see that a lot of Republicans, not all of them, but enough, um, are making this a joke time and things like that that are just absolutely beyond the pale. And this is my concern is that it always gets worse and is going to continue to get worse. And so far, we've been lucky that nothing truly awful has happened in that somebody has died. Uh, one of these attacks is going to be successful. It may be on a Republican. It may be on a Democrat, but it's going to spin all of us up even further to what I fear is a point of unraveling. I want to talk about the Republican um contrition on this. But I do want to talk about this moment that the bus tour was launched, because it wasn't like political violence was a fantasy. I mean, we played that sound from Nancy Pelosi in 2009, saying she was worried about the anti-government rhetoric. The Tea Party was on the upswing. There was the Obama birtherism flourishing. Did you, I know you say it was lighthearted, but the imagery of Nancy Pelosi behind a wall of flames is, yes, a play on the word fired, but it also conjures something darker. And I'm sure it seemed like sharp skewering of someone who was in the political mainframe, if you will. But did you did you, did you ever pause to think maybe we shouldn't do this? Uh, no, that wasn't a part of our conversation at all. And I'll tell you, part of what I did at the committee, some days I was successful, some days I wasn't. And there, there are reporters that, that you know and have worked with that will tell you about this, is to push back on some of the really ugly narratives that we heard about Barack Obama, questioning his Christianity, questioning his religion, that not only did I think was politically out of bounds, I thought was politically stupid um, and not what we needed to be talking about in 2010 if we wanted to take over the House. Again, the Fire Pelosi campaign was a vehicle uh, for us quite literally when we did the bus um, to do that, but not in a thought of political violence um, at all. I wasn't aware of those comments of, of Speaker Pelosi's then, I don't think. And the other thing I would say is, you know, Republicans aren't critical of Nancy Pelosi because they think she's incompetent. You know, we, we launched this because she very skillfully uh, got the uh, Obamacare bill through the House by a narrow margin. Uh, she's very good at her job. And that's part of why she's been a real villain uh, for and to Republicans is because of her because of her effectiveness. I gotta, um, I wonder what you think of this quote from David Axelrod this weekend explaining what is so attractive to Republicans in terms of Nancy Pelosi as a as a focus of, of the outrage to get people to the polls. Axelrod says it's gender, it's class. The whole idea of a wealthy San Francisco liberal woman, the whole package is there. The difference is what the, what began as a way to raise money and gin up turnout has now become a much more deadly game. Do you think there's some truth in that, that it's beyond her efficacy as Speaker of the House and her legislative record, which are formidable to be sure, but it's something about her, the fact that she's a woman, that she's a liberal, that she's from a coastal city. Do you think that that mattered in all of this? I think I think some of it does. And, you know, in the previous hour, there was a clip of uh, Lindsey Graham talking about San Francisco. So it has been a time honored tradition for Republicans to use San Francisco and New York City, where you are. Washington, of course, as well, where I am, uh, as as, uh, you know, shorthand for coastal elites and things like that. Um, so I think there is there is truth of that. Look, David's a really smart guy. And even when I disagree with him, I think he's probably said some um, smart points. What do you you said there was a conversation after the Giffords shooting um, where you mm -hmm. guys kind of circle back up at the RNC and say, maybe we should tone it down. What happened in that conversation? Yeah, I, you know, it was a Saturday morning and uh, we were all like everybody else shocked that this would happen. Um, and the, the call, as I as I remember it, was one of really somber tones. And 
making sure that the statements that we put out, whether it was from the Republican National Committee or from John Boehner's office, as he being now the new speaker of the House at that point, uh, that we set the right tone and say the right things. And again, this is also the really important part that we make it clear to, and this is House leadership more than it is the RNC, but that we make it clear to our members, uh, members of the House Republican Conference or what we call the 168, the 168 members of the Republican National Committee, to not say anything inflammatory, to frankly not say anything stupid. And we were able to do that, uh, I think, successfully in 2011. As we've seen 12 years later, just this past weekend, it's a punchline for some Republicans or, you know, some of the so-called conservative pundits who also dabble in selling vitamin supplements on TV and the MyPillowization of the Republican Party and so forth. That's unfortunate. And it's why I hope more Republicans will speak up or if they said the wrong thing like Glenn Youngkin did, then apologize for it so you can then move on. I mean, the current chair of the RNC, Ronna McDaniel, Ronna McDaniel Romney, Romney McDaniel, said you can't say people saying let's fire Pelosi or let's take back the House is saying go do violence. It's just unfair. I think we all need to recognize violence is up across the board. That does not sound like someone who has learned at all from the mistakes that were made a decade ago that sound, that is intent on quelling the anger and the, you know, direction towards violent, that violence that seems to be a mainstay of Republican Party strategy at this point. I mean, what do you make of that as someone you who worked know, at the RNC? Yeah, you know, as I as I said in the piece, um, you know, I think we have original sin here. And part of that is our language towards Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, for that matter, as well. Um, and, and the questioning of citizenship and, and religion and so forth. Um, and then also, obviously, with Donald Trump and what ultimately, uh, you know, culminated in, in January 6th. I think Republicans should be uh, more mindful of that. I think she's right that you can't necessarily draw a direct line between what one politician says and the act of a crazy person. You know, when Chuck Schumer said uh, that Brett Kavanaugh was going to reap the whirlwind and and pay the price for uh, you know his vote on the Dobbs decision. I don't think he was sending the person there to uh, to uh, Brett Kavanaugh's house with a gun to get arrested. So it's not a straight line. It may be a dotted line. It may be a broken line. It's one of the reasons I wanted to be introspective in, in what my work had been, uh, because I'm scared of what's going to happen next, just as I'm scared of what's happened before. So, you know, with Steve Scalise, that's not something that just happened uh, at a baseball game. It's very personal to me because he's a friend and the two members of his security detail worked for Eric Cantor when I worked in his office and I know them well and they're wonderful people dedicated to doing their jobs. And we're lucky that they were there at the right time. The next time Republican or Democrat, they may not be, right? The, the kidnapping plot on Gretchen Whitmer could have been successful. And these are things that should scare every American and I think cause everybody in American public life to try and do better for themselves and ultimately for the country. Yes. And the idea that violence is a strategy condoned, supported and um, furthered by especially one party in this country should be unacceptable to all of us. Doug High, former communications director for the Republican National Committee. Thank you for your time tonight. Thank you. We have much more ahead here tonight. Coming up, we will talk with one of the most ambitious Democrats in the country as far as keeping control of the Senate. Congressman and candidate Tim Ryan joins us live. And up next, Republicans have made it the centerpiece of their closing argument. But the only people who actually have a plan for it are Democrats. Stay tuned to see what exactly it is. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the Internet. 
which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high-coverage foundation. More popular than soft-launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi. It's more popular than influencers. See you in there. True or false? Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Inflation is skyrocketing. Energy costs are up and grocery shelves are empty. The worst inflation in 40 years. Home heating, groceries, gasoline, all through the roof. An exploding cost of living. Our lives are dangerous and unaffordable. With just a week left to go until Election Day, Republicans have found their closing message. Inflation, inflation, inflation. There is just one problem with that message. Republicans don't really have a plan to deal with inflation, inflation, inflation. When asked by reporters about their plans for tackling that very problem, Republicans have responded with a mix of deflection and confusion. This is what Republican Senate candidate Mehmet Oz told the Philadelphia Inquirer about what he would do to lower inflation. Cut taxes for working families. Boom. There you got it. The big problem there is that cutting taxes, while politically very popular, could very well make inflation worse by driving up consumer spending and pushing prices even higher. But that is almost the entirety of the Republican economic agenda, cutting taxes. And they are ready to push it no matter what the actual problem is or whether it might even make the problem worse. Democrats, the group of people who are apparently on the defense here, they actually seem to have a plan for combating inflation, some of which has already been put in place. They passed the Inflation Reduction Act. They've taken executive actions, including releasing more energy from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in order to lower gas prices. And now they're going after corporate greed. Last week, the two biggest oil companies in the U.S. reported over $30 billion, with a B, $30 billion in combined profits, even as consumers are facing higher prices at the pump. In other words, big oil companies are using the specter of inflation and higher costs because of the war in Ukraine to boost their own share price. This is not something Republicans have been talking about. Last night, President Biden explicitly threatened those big oil and gas companies with a new windfall tax on corporate profits unless they start reducing prices. Oil companies, record profits today are not because they're doing something new or innovative. Their profits are a windfall of war, the windfall from the brutal conflict that's ravaging Ukraine and hurting tens of millions of people around the globe. I think they have a responsibility to act in the interest of their consumers, their community, and their country. To invest in America by increasing production and refining capacity. If they don't, they're going to pay a higher tax on their excess profits and face other restrictions. So there seems to be a Democratic plan here as it concerns inflation, inflation, inflation. And yet, Republicans are still landing their attacks against Democrats on the economy. There are polls tightening every day, and voters are saying the economy is their top concern. So what should Democrats do? What can Democrats do? There is one week left here. Well, here's Democratic Congressman Mike Levin, who is facing a tough re-election campaign in a California swing district. Republicans are talking a lot about inflation. And yes, it is a big problem that I have been working hard to address. 
But what are the Republican plans? A bunch of bull. That's right, the Republican plan is massive tax cuts for billionaires and giant corporations. Pretty much their plan for everything. It won't bring down inflation, but it will make their donors even richer. What a surprise. I'm Mike Levin, and I approve this message because we need real action to bring down inflation, not a bunch of bull. A bunch of bull. Should that be Democrats' closing message? We have the perfect person to ask. Joining us now is Faz Shakir, former campaign manager and senior advisor to Bernie Sanders and the founder of A More Perfect Union. Faz, it's good to see you. Good to see you, too. Is that... It feels like Democrats have just not wanted to say the word inflation because President Biden is the president and the Democrats control Congress. But should should that be the closing message? Should they be pointing out actively the fact that the GOP GOP plan is actually no plan? Right. Especially if you have to diagnose how inflation has happened. There's many reasons for why inflation has happened. Certainly the supply chains during the pandemic caused kerfuffles all over the place. Certainly the war in Ukraine has caused, you know, increase in energy prices. One of the major things that most Democrats don't often talk about is corporate greed. And if you look at corporate greed, the fact that most of these large corporate monopolies control larger spaces within the markets, they have incredible pricing power over you. So PepsiCo and Coca-Cola are reporting record profits right now, not just profits, record Record profits, profits while you are are, are tightening your belt to save every penny, they are showing their shareholders greater stock dividends and buybacks, right? So for a Democrat who believes in the power of government to, to, to care for working people, you have to be willing to be a bulwark against corporate forces and corporate excesses who are trying to screw you. And you need to emote that. You need to have policies and plans for that. I'm glad that Joe Biden has said, hey, windfall profits tax, that shouldn't just stop there. There's a lot of ways that you control for corporate wrongdoing. That's what that's what the fight is about. And it's easy to understand if you are someone who has gone to the grocery store and has to do a back of the envelope calculation to see whether you can afford all of your groceries to understand that PepsiCo, which makes a lot of the food in the grocery store, is recording historic profits. Yes. Right. And tie this with labor for a second. Are, you, are workers seeing it? Because most Republicans will blame workers. Oh, they had to pay, you know, an extra $2 an hour to the Chipotle worker, while Chipotle is raking in record profits and the CEO is making $50, $60 million a year, right? So can you tell a coherent story? You should be able to tell a coherent story that most of that profit is going into the shareholders, into the large investors in Chipotle. They are making out like bandits and they're blaming it on workers. It is our job as Democrats to stand with the laborers. The laborers are telling you the story. Look, I'm getting screwed. I'm I'm barely making ends meet due to inflation. You have to get behind them like a freight train and say, we fight for them. We fight for these underdogs who are getting who are really they are being preyed upon in this marketplace because corporate actors have too much power over both laborers and consumers who are being jacked on prices. You see the Chipotle bull shrinking and shrinking over periods of time so they could just make more money. That's all that's going on. I don't understand how this is not a sort of foundational part of the Democratic message this year because it was such a plank in 2020. There was such acute awareness of the pain people were feeling, of the economic like issues facing the country writ large, the structural inequalities. I mean, multiple Democratic candidates ran on that, and yet you don't see the same messaging in this midterm election well, cycle. And Alex, I think one of the challenges was that we worked on this Build Back Better for a long period of time, and that, I think there was some Build Back Better fatigue that when we passed the Invest, uh, inflation. IRA, Infl- Inflation Reduction Act, what got left on the chopping block? 
right? It was childcare. It was free tuition at community colleges. Uh, you know, and you think about those things that would reduce inflation or help people who are really dealing with inflation. It would be those elements. Imagine if I could come to you, Alex, and say, "Hey, I have a plan to deal with uh, childcare," or I'm going to get you a childcare uh, a tax credit that would deal with some of the costs that you're experiencing in your life. Wouldn't you be excited about it? And so, what I feel is the struggle has been that when Democrats were campaigning and fighting for this, we obviously came two votes short in the Senate. Yeah. We stopped talking about it after we passed because the it became, they thought it became yeah. political. It, it is, it, you can be honest with voters and say we came up two votes short of being able to do those things. And that's why I need Mandela Barnes in the Senate. And that's why I need John Fetterman in the Senate. And we're coming back. We're not forgetting this. We're going to keep fighting for child care. We're going to keep fighting for free tuition, public colleges and universities. That's why you need to put us back in office to give us a chance to do this. And the, and and they haven't done that thus They far. lost the thread, right? They, and you can't talk about your accomplishments. I want to just say there's a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, you know, just talk about the great things that you did. Alex, if you and I are struck regular paycheck to paycheck, what does paycheck to paycheck mean? There's 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 percent of people who are in this category now are struggling. That means at the end of a two-week work period, let's say you're making 13 dollars 15 $16 an hour, $800 every two weeks, you're, you're, you have zero in your checking account, zero in your savings yeah, you account. Zero let's, out let's at the not, end of every month. Let's not even talk about policy for a second. Feel that emotion. Imagine the anxiety, the suffering, the concern that you have, the shame that you have. Am I doing enough for my family? Start with that and say, do you really want to hear about accomplishments right now? You want to go back to that person and say, don't worry, we did all these amazing things. No, you want to say, I see your pain and suffering, and here's the next three things I want to do. And these bastards on the right, they aren't going to do anything for you. They don't care. Well, that's the other piece of this, because the... Republicans have been pretty clear right. about what they're going to do, and it's not going to help the problem. Right. And yet there's this default back to the stereotype that the Republicans are, quote unquote, better for the economy than the Democrats are. Right. And it's a more complicated, nuanced message to say, we haven't done everything we want to do, but we'll do more. Right. I understand that. But it's not that complicated to say tax cuts for the wealthiest aren't going to help you. I mean, I want I wonder whether there needs to be more offense in addition to the defense. That, that's that absolutely right. Sense. Everything you're saying is absolutely correct. And you're saying, you know, I think President Obama did it well. Senator Sanders is doing it, too, is talking about they want to cut Social Security and Medicare. That's how exactly. they want to do, do uh, the tax breaks. And you're OK. So here's clear contrast. One thing, you know, I understand the abortion messaging. And for some many Democratic candidates, it's a lot easier to talk about abortion. You and I could sit down and, and write a 30-second ad. We could write an email explaining how and why we care about this. I see a lot of people are struggling with an economic contrast, which to my mind is easy. But many Democrats have not been willing to make a forceful economic contrast. And for the better part of a year, voters have been telling us that's the number one issue on their minds. Yeah. And by the way, abortion is an economic is- issue for sure as well. That too, for sure that too. But in addition to abortion being an economic issue, you can talk about what you want to do to address people's increased food costs, increased uh, grocery bills, increased fuel, uh, fuel costs. You want to take it to corporate wrongdoers who are trying to prey upon you. These guys on the right, they're in their pockets. They are the people who are funding their campaign ad. They aren't going to do anything about it. We stand with workers. We stand with consumers who are getting the shaft. And if you don't have government willing to stand up to corporate actors, you're only going to continue to get preyed upon. It is the Democratic Party that has that responsibility, has the willingness, has the desire to take on corporate wrongdoing. Well, if you say they can do it, are you listening? Patrick <laughs> here, former campaign manager and senior advisor to Bernie Sanders. It's always a pleasure to see Thank you, Baz. Thanks for coming on Appreciate up. Appreciate it. In just a few minutes, we are going to talk with one of the Democrats who hopes that that economic message will take him to the Senate. Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan joins us live. And up next, disturbing news from the new owner of Twitter, Elon Musk, as he orders his team to shut down tools used to moderate hate speech right before the election. That's next. That's next. 
Meet Janice. Unfortunately, her thing is sneeze attacks every time spring returns. I literally sneezed 40 times in a row once. Luckily for Janice, at the Walmart pharmacy, she can get over-the-counter allergy relief for things like sneezing, runny nose, and watery eyes, fast with online pickup or delivery. No more suffering? That's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> I see what you did there. Help survive allergy season with fast online pickup or delivery from Walmart. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. After nearly two days of silence, Brazil President Jair Bolsonaro today finally addressed his historic loss to the leftist former president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. Bolsonaro spoke for just two minutes. The reports ahead of his highly anticipated address indicated that Bolsonaro would officially concede the election to Lula, the winner, and accept defeat. He did not do that. During those two minutes, Bolsonaro never once mentioned the victor or the election results. It wasn't until after Bolsonaro left the podium that the election results were even addressed. That's when his chief of staff stepped up to the microphone to say that the Bolsonaro administration would start the transition process. Now, this wasn't a concession, but it did provide a reprieve, because what has been happening in Brazil during Bolsonaro's two days of post-election silence has been chaotic. Truckers and demonstrators have blocked roads throughout Brazil since Sunday, all in support of Bolsonaro. Some of the truckers protesting have called for a military coup to prevent Lula from taking office. Today, Bolsonaro failed to call his supporters off. Instead, he welcomed peaceful demonstrations. So the door here is fairly wide open for more of these truck blockades, but at least the Bolsonaro administration appears to have begun the transition process. And it was a real concern that this wouldn't actually happen, that no member of the Bolsonaro administration would even utter the word transition. That's because, as the New York Times has documented, Bolsonaro has been saying exactly that for months. He's been telling the world that if he lost, it would only be because the election was stolen. He's literally been casting doubt on the legitimacy of Brazil's elections for years. Eu digo que se eu não tiver menos 60% dos votos, algo de anormal aconteceu no TSE. Esse sistema aqui é impossível fazer qualquer relação ou correlação entre o eleitor e o seu voto. Assim como eu não tenho como comprovar que houve fraude, ninguém também do outro lado. If I don't win, there must have been fraud. Remind you of anyone? Those are exactly the sorts of things that Donald Trump said in the run-up and aftermath of the 2020 presidential election. Trump made similar statements on Twitter, priming his millions of followers to believe in the lie of election fraud and encouraging them to gather near the Capitol on January 6th. As a refresher, on December 19th, 2020, Trump wrote, statistically impossible to have lost the 2020 election. Big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there. Will be wild. A former Twitter employee who was on the team responsible for content moderation throughout 2020 told the January 6th committee that after Trump tweeted that, it felt as if a mob was being organized. On Twitter, Trump's lies took off like wildfire. 
A mob was echoing Trump's claims of voter fraud and preparing to assemble at the Capitol on January 6th, armed and ready to attack. The Twitter employee who testified to the House panel said Twitter considered opting, adopting stricter content moderation policies because of Trump's rhetoric, but that never came to pass. Instead, Trump continued to fan the flames on Twitter, calling for people to gather on the 6th. And we all know what ultimately happened that day, January 6th is what can happen when a president lies to his followers about an election loss and questions the legitimacy of the vote and uses Twitter to rally his supporters and avoids playing by any of the rules that might prevent the spread of lies. We know that pattern. That is how our last election went. And that is why it was so unnerving when we learned today that Twitter has limited employees' access to content moderation tools since Elon Musk completed his $44 billion acquisition of the company. According to Bloomberg, taking action on accounts that have broken policies on hate speech or misinformation requires Twitter employees to access a dashboard of tools. Those tools have been suspended since last week, raising concerns among some Twitter employees who worry that they won't be able to adequately enforce Twitter's misinformation policies ahead of Election Day here in the U.S. And by the way, these are the same policies the company says Trump routinely violated before and after the last election. Now, the team in charge with enforcing Twitter's policies in Brazil, that team had access to the company's content moderation tools returned to them on Sunday, which was the day of the Brazilian election. So the question remains whether the same will be true here in the United States next Tuesday on Election Day, and also whether returning those tools at that point will be too little too late. More than 300 election deniers are on the ballot in one week. Buckle up. The guys who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, they are the lead. They are the leaders. They are the, they, they, they are the, they are the leaders. This is what I'm saying. They stormed the Capitol on January 6th. They beat up 140 police officers, killed killed one. Okay, they killed they killed one. We all. We all we all watched we all watched the we all watched the video we all watched the video and I let him finish please and I work I'm I'm happy to have this conversation I'm not afraid to have this conversation these are the conversations we need to have in this country I welcome you guys let's just be respectful but I'm not afraid to stand here and defend my position I'm not afraid to have this conversation that was Tim Ryan the Democratic congressman vying for Ohio Senate seat this year. And he was making his case to an audience at a Fox News town hall earlier tonight. Now, say what you will about the audience's reaction to his question, to a question he was trying to answer about the MAGA movement. But here is a person trying to speak the truth about what happened on January 6th to a room full of people who have been lied to for quite some time. It is not a very comfortable conversation, but Tim Ryan was trying to have it anyway. And then there was his Republican opponent, J.D. Vance, who was given the chance to condemn the politically driven attack against House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul. And J.D. Vance said this. I've condemned the violence against Paul Pelosi from the very beginning. I think it's preposterous. I think it's disgusting. And I think it's all of, something that all of us should condemn. What I've also said is that I think the effort to turn this into a political issue actually is a real problem here because... Paul Pelosi was attacked. Look, Paul Pelosi was attacked by a person who's an illegal alien 
in our country should have never been here in the first place. My view, very simply, is that we need to deport violent illegal aliens, okay? The attack on Paul Pelosi was a, quote, real problem because illegal immigrants. J.D. Vance, it should be noted, did not take the opportunity to have an uncomfortable conversation about the ways in which Fox News has fomented anger against Speaker Pelosi and spread misinformation about the Democratic Party. Quite the opposite, in fact. Both Vance and Ryan are locked in a tight race. The latest polling average from 538 shows Vance leading Ryan by just two percentage points. And Tim Ryan is hoping that he can close that gap by not only turning out faithful Democratic voters, but also convincing some Ohio Republicans, including some Trump supporters, to give him a shot, which is maybe why he's doing Fox town halls. And today he got the endorsement of a Republican who is very much not a Trump supporter, Wyoming Congresswoman, Congresswoman Liz Cheney. Now, an endorsement is a good thing, but is this endorsement helpful? Let's ask Tim Ryan. Joining us now is Democratic Senate candidate from Ohio, Congressman Tim Ryan. Congressman, thank you so much for joining me on this busy day that you have had. Can we please begin with Liz Cheney's endorsement of you? Um, What's your thought on it? Well, there's certain issues, uh, Alex, that are American issues that are the foundation of the country. Do you believe in democracy? Do you believe in the rule of law? Do you believe that elections are free and fair? And if you agree on those things, then, you know, welcome to the United States. You're an American. Um, and, and Liz Cheney and I agree on that. And then you can break into your, you know, your, your, your parties or your views or your philosophies on how to govern from that point. But you have to agree on the, the, the integrity of elections. You have to agree on, you know, the, these these foundational democratic issues. And if you do, you're an American. And I think that's what Liz was saying today, that we have an obligation to be Americans first and agree on these foundational issues. And then we can have our political fights within the context of that. And so there are a lot of Republicans here in Ohio that are tired of the extremism. J.D. Vance has denied the election. He's running around with Donald Trump Jr. and Donald Trump Sr., but Donald Trump Jr., making fun of the Paul Pelosi incident. Like, it's like, no, they, they missed the memo that everyone's tired of that. And so Liz uh, Cheney's endorsement is, is very welcome. And, and, and if she's ever back in Congress and I'm back in Congress, we can argue about other things. But we'll argue about them from that foundational viewpoint. I, I'm very curious to know how you are trying to pull off what is a very tight, tightrope walk, right? On one hand, you are trying to get the support of some folks who maybe still have positive feelings towards Donald Trump, who watch Fox News. On the other hand, you're also trying to turn out the Democratic Party faithful and people who believe in, for example, truth about what happened on January 6th. We have been led to believe that those two groups of people do not overlap, that the people who believe in what happened on January 6th, which is an, a violent insurrection of the Capitol, Capitol, and the people who support Donald Trump, those are never the same groups of people. Have you found otherwise? I think there's some overlap there. I don't know. I, I'm not smart enough to do the whole analysis of this, honestly. All I know is what I feel on the ground. And what I feel on the ground is there are people that are absolutely ungettable. They are in that small group of people. And maybe it's maybe it's 30 or 35 percent. Uh, of the electorate, um, but they they're ungettable. And then there's a group that's that's like they voted for Trump because the system's broken for them. Whether it's the economic system, the retirement system, the healthcare system, the education system, they had a level of frustration. 
And they felt like this independent guy from the outside who was rich and famous, maybe he was the guy after 40 years, maybe he was the guy that could fix it. And so those voters are are open to a guy like me who's saying like, look, I agreed with Trump on some of the China stuff. I agreed with not, not the, not the rhetoric, but the policy of we gotta, we've got to be firm and outcompete China. He renegotiated NAFTA. He wants a strong defense. Like maybe we could, you know, maybe we could vote for a guy like Tim Ryan because he's for us. He's for our retirement. He's for our wages. He's for our health care. And it was similar to Sherrod Brown, who wins in Ohio. Those people are gettable. And I'm not going to not go on Fox News because I'm afraid of the people who support the insurrection on January 6th. I went on Fox News because you got to go into the lion's den to even be able to access those other people. And we are. And that's why we're going to win this race is because there are those other people who will vote for me. They, they feel like they're a person without a home. And, and we want to give them a soft landing because we are all Americans. We don't have to agree on everything. And we're just asking people to help us pull this thing off to go to timforoh.com and send us a few bucks because Mitch McConnell's not funding our campaign and nor are the Democrats in the Senate. We need the rank and file people to help us make this happen. I, I, I think what you're saying, I mean, we had a conversation earlier in the show about the economic frustration and the fact that Democrats actually have much more of a sort of outlined plan and an action plan, some of which has been enacted, to help people, to help the working class. My question to you is, how do you tap into that sense of anger and frustration and loss that is a hallmark of this this group of people, working class Americans, and I'm not just white working class Americans, but just working class Americans who feel left behind, who feel like people don't care. How do you tap into the emotional center of that without becoming an angry candidate yourself? Because that seems to be what has happened here with the Republican Party and even Donald Trump. The rage machine becomes it basically eclipses the problem at hand, which is the fact that people feel left behind and lost and broken. Uh, this is why I love you. Uh, you. You absolutely hit the nail on the head. Like you get this stuff and you meet them where they are. Right. You can't you can't say, oh, how do you feel about inflation? And you say, well, the fundamentals of the economy are good. That's not the right answer. The right answer is I know you're hurting. I know four dollars a gallon for gas or three eighty five or whatever it is where you're living is really hard. And whether you're a home health care worker who happens to be a black woman in Cleveland, or you're a construction worker who happens to be a, a white dude from the Ohio, off the Ohio River that has to travel a couple hours every day. In each instance, the gas prices are crushing you. And in each instance, your, your food costs are high. So you're talking to everybody, you gotta meet them where they are. I understand how difficult this is. I understand the pain. And I've been saying, that's why we need a tax cut. The child tax credit that we advanced last year earned income tax credit to put some money in your pocket, a general tax cut for, for workers and small businesses. Meet them where they are, understand their pain, and then provide a solution. People are smart. They don't expect you to have a magic wand. They just want you to understand and then have a plan moving forward. We have a good mid to long-term plan, CHIPS Act, Infrastructure Inflation Reduction Act. We're bringing back manufacturing. We have, a, we have an industrial policy in this country for the first time in 40 years. But we're not what we're not getting right is we feel your pain. We understand you need a tax cut. You need some more money in your pocket till we weather the storm. If we do that, I'm doing that. We'll see how it works out. But you got to understand where people are coming from. And again, you said it. 
white, black, brown, gay, straight, man, woman, manufacturing sector, service sector. They're all in the same boat. They're working hard, falling behind. So we got to help out. Democratic Senate candidate from Ohio, Congressman Tim Ryan. It's a two point race. We will be watching. Best of luck out there, Congressman. Thanks, thanks for joining thanks, us Alex. tonight. We want, we want people to help us out. Chip in a few bucks. TimPeroH.com. We need you. We'll be right back. Breaking news tonight out of Arizona. It was a little over a week ago when these images of masked, possibly armed individuals patrolling a Maricopa County ballot drop box surfaced. The individuals were reportedly taking photos of voters' license plates as they were voting. So the Arizona chapter of the League of Women Voters sued to stop that group from intimidating voters. The DOJ even stepped in this week and filed a brief in support of their argument. And just tonight, within the last several minutes, a federal judge has ruled in favor of the League of Women Voters. The organization tweeted tonight, Quote, breaking news, federal judge rules in voters' favors. Voters in Arizona will not face intimidation at the drop box. That is a win for democracy. And that does it for us. Meet Janice. Unfortunately, her thing is sneeze attacks every time spring returns. I literally sneezed 40 times in a row once. Luckily for Janice, at the Walmart pharmacy, she can get over-the-counter allergy relief for things like sneezing, runny nose, and watery eyes, fast with online pickup or delivery. No more suffering? That's nothing to sneeze at. (laughs) I see what you did there. Help survive allergy season with fast online pickup or delivery from Walmart. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart.